0: Romans chapter 10, Paul has been burdened tremendously for his countrymen. And again, I don't want you to get kind of honed into that this is just about Jewish people. This is about religious people who believe that if they can just follow the right traditions or follow the right rituals in the right way at the right time, then God then owes them love. Meanwhile, God says, I already love you. Like there's nothing else you can do to make me love you more. Just accept the love that I already have for you. Isn't that a difficulty that many people struggle with even today? This idea that, and I think even the church wrestles with this. Even we struggle with it because we are such a performance-based society that we believe that anything worth having is worth working for. And that if I haven't worked for it, I haven't earned it, I don't deserve it. And then we come to God with that same kind of mentality that's, Well, I want God to love me, but I'm afraid that if I don't do exactly the right things in the right way, now, instead of getting love from God, I'm going to get punished. God is going to be disappointed with me, displeased with me, upset with me, unhappy with me. And God says, no, I love you. Just like a parent loves a child. I have this love and it's there for you, but you just have to accept it. You just have to receive it. Believe me when I tell you, I love you. All of the anger I have against sin was all taken by Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus is the stumbling block for the Jew or any religious person that wants to say that they've earned God's love. You ever been in a relationship like that where you're so worried about, you know, whether the person is going to accept you or love you and you're on eggshells all the time hoping you don't do the wrong thing because if you do, then all of a sudden you're cut out. And the silent treatment happens. But see, you catch yourself doing that with God, don't you? We stumble into sin. Then we feel ashamed and we feel God is ashamed of us. And maybe now God is going to punish me. And you get the flat tire or you lose the job. Oh, see, there it is. God's punished me. No, 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 no. If you're a believer, God is not punishing you. Life happens. God loves you. He's with you. And so Paul is desperate having been a Jew. I mean, he's still a Jew. You don't stop being a Jew. That's your nationality. Having operated in that religious system, Paul is desperate for his countrymen to know what he knows. And to have what he has. And he's taught them that it's not just for them. The God, their God, is also the God of the Gentiles, too, a God of non Jews. He's the God of everybody. And everybody is saved the same way. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or Catholic or Baptist or whatever silly label you want to label on yourself, you're a Christian. And we're saved by God's grace through our faith, just believing that when he says to you, you're forgiven. You got a choice to believe that or not. You can live like you're not, and try to earn your forgiveness. Try to make it up somehow, which you never can do. Or you can just believe that you're forgiven and get on with it and live like it. You can say, "Well, I don't feel loved." So you're going to let your feelings rule your life, or you're going to let the truth rule your life. The truth is, is that you are loved, and the only way your feelings about that are going to change is when you accept it by faith that you're loved. Stop questioning it. Look at the cross and accept it. You are loved. So, what happens when I sin? God still loves you. He still loves you. And He still wants to bless you. To be right with God, which is what Paul wants for the Jews, means that I'm in a place to receive God's blessing and His love and His security and his redemption, and all the things that I get, Paul says in Ephesians, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All of that is mine, because the wrath for my sin has been put on his son, Jesus Christ. It's all been dealt with and taken care of. God has no other way. For those that believe, God has no other approach to you than love and blessing. Oh, he disciplines his children, doesn't he? But even does that with patience, great patience and love. So Paul Showing them, telling them, begging with them that salvation is not something that's difficult or far out there or something you've got to work hard for or accomplish yourself. It's right there. It's as easy as hearing the words that whoever believes can be saved and then believing it. That's how easy it is. And that's where we ended in the last section of chapter 10, verse 13 Paul says, "Whoever Jew, Gentile, person that lives in Fluvana, someone that's homeless, someone that's wealthy, someone that's black, someone that's white, someone that's Hispanic, someone that's Chinese, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, shall be what? Saved, saved, rescued, rescued. How many of you have been taught that Christianity is just this really narrow, exclusive religion? Yeah, you've heard that. Christianity is so exclusive. It's so narrow." Wait a second. The word whosoever is pretty inclusive, isn't it? The word whosoever believes includes everybody. Anybody can believe. So yes, I understand what they're saying. In one way, it's narrow in that the belief has to be directed toward Jesus. But apart from that, I mean, it's completely, hugely open to anyone who can exercise belief. So if that's true, if whoever individually Doesn't matter, elect, not elect, whatever. You know, we dealt with that in chapter nine. Am I elect? Am I not elect? You know, there's personal responsibility for what you believe. You have a choice and you're responsible for your choice and you're responsible for the consequences of your choice. And so he says, whosoever calls shall be saved. And if that's true, then that's what spurs on the next few verses. Verse 14 begins with, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So these verses have had a tremendous impact through the centuries on the church's worldwide missionary movement, sending people out to tell others about Jesus. And this is a phenomenal passage. Again, our radio program, Faith by Hearing, is based on verse 17. Verse 17 is a memory verse, and we'll get to that in a minute. But clearly, I mean, the obvious discussion we're going to have this morning is evangelism and missions. And rightfully so, because Paul says, look, if it's true that salvation comes by hearing a message, hearing a God-initiated message, that people should be able to hear that message, right? And how are people going to hear? I mean, Paul starts with the individual being saved and works backwards to God. So we can start with God. Basically, God has a message for the world, right? His message for Jew, for non-Jew, for everybody. And that message is, you need to be saved. Your sins are a problem your sins have separated you, but I love you. And I've made a way for unholy, sinful human beings to have a relationship of blessing, love, and forgiveness with a holy God who otherwise would have been inaccessible, unapproachable. Think about the Old Testament. Think about what it took. God is so holy that he could only dwell with mankind under very certain conditions. Read the Old Testament. Read all the things that they had to do to cleanse themselves before going into the tabernacle to approach God at the Holy of Holies. One time a year, the high priest only had to cleanse himself and sacrifices and all this stuff. God set up a little slice of heaven right there that he would dwell in, right between the cherubim on the mercy seat. And that's where God's presence would dwell. And if you wanted to go there, man, you had to be cleansed and washed. And the Holy Spirit does that work in our lives. Think about it. Think about what it takes for now God to say, I'm going to dwell in your life, in your heart. You have to have been cleansed and made holy for that to happen. And all of that is accomplished through Jesus. He's forgiven your sins. He's washed you clean. You've been attached to life. You're given life and you're given eternal life. And that message is important for people to know because the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, you know, we kind of, nowadays we trust in politics or maybe we don't, I don't know. If we do, we shouldn't. Diplomacy. I mean, think about the condition of our world right now. We sit back and we watch the news and we go, oh, look what's going on in Syria. Look what's going on in Yemen. Look what's going on in America. Oh, if only the government would do something about that. If only these people would do something. If only someone else could do something about it. And yet as Christians, we have this awesome life-changing message of Jesus. So is Jesus just about where I go when I die? Or is there more to it than that? Look, I have a book on my shelf at home called How Christianity Changed the World. You don't know it. The people out there don't know it. But we have the blessing we have in America and we've had because we're founded, whether you believe or not, we're founded on Christian principles, like it or not. The way you think, you're hardwired to think in biblical terms, even though people reject God, even though you might. It's cultural. So when Jesus enters into a family, it changes that family's culture. Changes the way you think. Changes the way you live. Changes the way you look at relationships. Changes the way you worship. Changes everything. And if that's multiplied, all of a sudden you have a neighborhood that's changed. And then you have a a country that's changed. Think about Jonah going to Nineveh. And Jonah was sent, right? Because the message starts with God. Hey, I want to save Nineveh. Actually, he was going to judge Nineveh, but he wanted to save them. So he sends Jonah to preach. What does Jonah do? Jonah runs away. I ain't doing it, God. I want you to judge him. But God has his way as he always does. Jonah ends up preaching in Nineveh and they actually respond. And there's more than 120,000 people. One of the greatest revivals in the Bible happens in the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. Changes their life, changes their culture. And it all happens because God says, I have a message. And it's a message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now that message goes out by somebody being sent. Now, Jesus was sent, right? He's the first apostle. The word sent here is the word, where we get the word apostle, someone who's sent out. So Jesus was the first apostle. And then Jesus had 12 apostles that were sent out then to take the gospel around the world. And then as the church begins, then the Holy Spirit has apostles, those that are sent out. Paul and Barnabas, remember Acts chapter 13? Paul and Barnabas, as the church is praying and fasting, set aside Paul and Barnabas for this work I have for them to do. And then the church sent them out. So everybody doesn't get sent out, right? Some stay, some are pastors and teachers, and some are evangelists. And so, but a portion, some have this calling in their life, like Jonah or like Paul called to go out. You know, I think that I learned as I read the Bible that God so loved the world that he gave his son. So that whosoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. So if God says, I love the world and I'm going to put my spirit in you, what ought that to produce in the life of a believer? A love for the world. And I think that's a natural product, a natural byproduct of a spirit-filled life and a spirit-filled church. There's this challenge in the church of some churches can easily become too inward focused. It's all about us. It's all about how many are coming and how many seats are we filling and are we growing? But then there's another side of that that some churches emphasize the other, how many are going? How many people are we sending? That that's the only validation of a, of a useful ministry. But I want to say it's both. That a healthy church has people staying and serving and ministering right here in the community and people going to get involved around the world. Because there's a lot of places where they don't know the word, they have never heard of Jesus. I couldn't believe it. And you don't have to go to some far-off place where you're going to die for your faith to do it. You can go to Italy. That's one place we've talked about before where we're trying to get some traction. Half of 1% of the people in northern Italy have a place where they can go and hear the Bible. We went to the island of Bonaire for vacation. Come to find out, there's only one Bible-teaching church, and it's not a place where I would suggest a new believer go. So there's all these people whose lives and eternities would be benefited Because God wants to talk to them, but God has said, you know what? I want to tell them about this, but I've ordained that it's going to happen through sending a person, through human relationship, through the word spoken. Again, we have radio and we have video and all that stuff, and all that's been fantastic, but still the need for people to go and be in places. I mean, when I heard that like, there was a place in Italy where people were begging for a Bible-teaching church, and they said, they called up and said, can you send somebody? And they said, we don't have anybody to send. Nobody going. I mean, well, you say, well, you know, pastor, that's not really my calling. Well, it's not everybody's calling, but it's somebody's calling. I mean, because you guys, listen, I know you, you guys are great evangelists when it comes to YouTube videos. Do you know how many people have sent me YouTube videos? Hey, Steve, you've got to watch this video. There's a great video. And how many of you have told other people, how many of you have seen a video? I said, this is great. I want to send this to someone else to see. So you know how to share things that are meaningful to you. You know how to share things that have touched your life. Matter of fact, how many of you have been to duck donuts in Charlottesville? All right, so I met a couple duck donut evangelists on Wednesday night. I had never heard of such a thing as a maple bacon donut. See, there you are. That's the best. You gotta, Steve, you gotta try a maple bacon donut. I do? I didn't know about such a thing. So I'm going to try a maple bacon donut. I've heard the message. I'm hearing it loud and clear. Bacon maple donuts are awesome. So BC, we know how to share things that we love. You know, again, maybe you're not sent out somewhere to some foreign country, but maybe it's just right here being willing to be an extrovert for Jesus. Well, I'm an introvert, but you're not when it comes to YouTube videos and you're not when it comes to bacon maple donuts, or you found a new doctor that you really like, or you got this new diet that you're on and you really like that. So we have this natural inclination that when something feeds us, we want to talk about it. We want to tell others about it. But how are we doing when it comes to Jesus? How are we do it when it comes to this, like maple bacon donut is like down here, but Jesus, life altering, history altering, family altering truth. And we go, why would I want to impose my things on other people? Are you kidding me? Have you ever been to Nepal? I mean, do you know how dark it is? How desperate they are? The story of hearing a woman at the banks of the river, having just tossed in her child to try to receive a blessing from their God. Because her husband had lost her job and he was out of work and they were dealing with some illness. So she thought, if I give my child to the God, then I'll please that God and maybe I'll be blessed. And then the evangelist comes along, the pastor comes along, meets her there, shares Jesus with her. And she says, I wish you were here 30 minutes ago. My child would still be alive. This is a powerful passage. How can they, again, working it backwards, someone has to be sent sent out to do this, is supported, encouraged, so that they can go and they can preach. They can use the, the preaching of the word, tell other people. And then the preaching goes out, and then people can hear. That's, again, working back with me. Then they hear. How should they hear without a preacher? Well, they can't. And then if they hear, then they can believe or not. And then if they believe, then they know what to do. Then they can cry out to God and be saved. Now, is everybody going to get saved? No. It's already been predicted from the beginning. Isaiah, Paul quotes it right here. Not only does he say how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That is true, right? When's the last time someone brought you a piece of really good news and you were just like hugging them? Thank you so much for telling me. Hey, I'm just the messenger. We love to bring good news to people, don't we? So that's true. The feet of those who bring the gospel of peace are beautiful, but... Paul recognizes that at the same time, not everybody's going to obey it. Not everybody's going to want to apply it to their lives. It's kind of like deodorant. Only works if you apply it. You can believe all your life about deodorant. That's fine for somebody else. It's like, no, you need it. Let me tell you about deodorant. If deodorant really works, then why are there so many smelly people in the world? Well, you've got to apply it to yourself. That's the way it works. But see, some people will hear it And they will reject it. And that's what Paul says here. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So the Jews, again, Paul dealing specifically with the Jews, but it expands to a wider audience, to us and to anyone who's trying to earn God's love, is the problem that people haven't heard. No, people have heard. The message has gone out. Preachers have been sent. And I think my question would be, how are we doing in that department? How are we as a church doing that department? What about you? Like, what if God said, I want to send you. We're always afraid God's going to send me the place that I hate to go. God is not like that. Like if God sends you somewhere, you're going to want to go. But that's how he works. He gives you a burden for a people. I mean, my heart lit up my first trip to Ukraine. I'd never been out of the country. It just blew my mind when I met people from a different culture that lived under communist oppression. You know, in in Ukraine, at the time of communism, there were no high-rise buildings You know why that was? No high-rise buildings because they did not want people to look up. And if you have a high-rise, people are going to look up. They don't look up. See, and I think cell phones and computers are serving the same purpose in our day, aren't they? Just don't look up. Let's spend all of our lives looking down when the real need is for us to look up. And when you go and you meet people and you see what they're going through and you see the darkness of the temple worship at the monkey temple in Nepal. And you see people just blindly going around this line, spinning these prayer wheels. Their faces are dead and they're emotionless. And when you see that, and when you hear these stories, you go, my heart is expanding going, they have to know. Like it's been so beneficial to me that I have to tell other people. One of my favorite stories is in the book of 2 Kings chapter seven. The uh, capital Samaria is being, uh, besieged by the Syrians. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, is besieging the city, which means their army is surrounding the city. All the people that have fled into the city for safety have now been cut off from food. And if they can do it, they cut off from water too. They basically starve you out until you either give up or die. Beautiful, isn't it? Wonderful how warfare works. So the Assyrians had Samaria areas surrounded. The people inside the city are starving. You could get a donkey's head, You could buy for 80 pieces of silver. So like, what's for dinner tonight? A head of donkey for dinner tonight. No, thank you, I'll pass. Things got so bad, they were eating their children. That's how bad. With food lying down the road, we can't imagine that. Like, that's foreign to us. But that was real life. Desperate, desperate, desperate. So in that city, in the gates of the city, there's four lepers. And they are there waiting, and they're thinking things through. They're thinking about their future. They're thinking about their situation, and they go, okay, look, here's the deal. Little huddle there. If we sit here and wait, we're going to die. I mean, we're all going to die. The whole city's going to die. This is not going to end well. But if we surrender and we give ourselves into the Syrians, maybe they'll kill us, but maybe they won't. Maybe they'll keep us alive and we'll get to eat. So they say, you know what? Let's go for it. It's option bad or option worse. They take bad. Meanwhile, what they don't know is that that night God had given the Syrians the illusion that armies were coming upon them. So they basically heard soldiers, they heard horse hooves and they said, we're out of here. They scattered. They didn't take their tents. They ran quickly. They left everything there. The stew they were cooking was still in the pot, still warm on the fire. Their bread was out. Their gold and silver was all there. The Syrian army was just gone. And so the lepers roll into camp and they're looking around and like, whoa, nobody's here. Let me read it to you from 2 Kings chapter 7, and then you'll see why I'm reading this to you, what, what the point of this is. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and golden clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Now remember, where did they just leave? They just left the city of Samaria walled in, starving to death. And they've discovered all of this food and all this money and all this stuff. And now they're hoarding it and hiding it. And then conviction enters in. You ever had that happen? Oh, I hate when that happens. Conviction happens. And one of them says to another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. That's 2 Kings 7 nine, if you'd like to look it up later. They look at each other and they say, man, this is just wrong. Like there's people starving in the city and we could be taking them the news that, hey, you don't have to starve. There's food. And you know what Amos said, the greatest famine in our world right now is not a famine for bread. It's a famine for the word of God. Even in the church, there's less and less of the word of God. So the lepers say to each other, hey, this is wrong that we've got so much blessing. We've got so much we enjoy and we're hoarding it for ourselves. We are like salt that's stuffed to overfilling in the shakers. What good is the salt of the earth if all the salt stays in the shaker? For salt to work, it's got to get out of the shaker so it can be the salt of the earth, salt of the world. So they say, hey, this is a bad deal. We got to go and we got to let people know. And so back to the city they go, And they don't believe the message, by the way. The king doesn't believe the message. They think it's a trap. They think it's an ambush. But that's neither here nor there. For my purposes, my purposes for this passage are, hey, if you got something you enjoy, share it with somebody else. And maybe evangelism or sharing your faith is a struggle because you've never actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good for yourself. So, the first thing is, don't be like, uh, one guy said that some Christians are like salespeople. That's like a pyramid scheme, and you're just trying to get, you know, you just go out like a salesperson trying to sell Jesus. But what's much better is to be a satisfied customer. If you've eaten that duck donut and you've tasted and you've seen that that maple bacon goodness is enjoyable, then you tell somebody else, right? And that's why Paul says, look, who's believed the hindrance to salvation? is not that the message is too hard or too difficult or too complicated or too far away. The hindrance is that you have to believe it for it to work. You have to believe it for it to take root in your life. And the challenge is, as God had said, even back then in Isaiah, when he was speaking of the Israelites being released from captivity in Babylon, that was the message from Isaiah 52. Now, Isaiah 53 says, well, Lord, I've preached it, but nobody believes it. And when you preach to someone and they don't believe you, when you tell someone about Jesus and what he's done for your life and how he's changed your life, and they don't believe it, just know that they're fulfilling scripture. They're doing exactly what Isaiah said would happen. The message is going to go out. It's a message of peace, but people are going to reject it. And he says, verse 17, so then faith comes not by working, but by hearing. Hearing the word of God. God's word is so powerful. Writer of Hebrews tells us God's word is living and it's powerful. And just get people into the word of God that word has power. The power is not in the preacher. The message doesn't originate with the preacher. The message originates with God himself. And all we are is delivery people. But faith, which is what's needed, if whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved, that faith comes by hearing, by hearing the spoken word, the rhema, the spoken word of God. That's why preaching is so important. Still to this day, the preaching of the word How many of you got saved because you heard the message either in a radio or in a sermon or a Bible study and you heard what God was saying and you got saved? I mean, for me, the radio ministry, which is why we place so much emphasis on that, the radio ministry, I heard the word of God on a radio. Some have heard it on TV. You hear that word, your heart just opens up and you go, that's for me. That's for me. I think about Lydia. Paul meets Lydia by the river and God opens her heart to believe. things that Paul was saying about Jesus. I think about the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, this Gentile household. Cornelius, a centurion living in Caesarea by the sea, place we visit when we go to Israel. And Peter comes to preach. God kind of ordains this meeting between Cornelius and Peter. And Peter's preaching to this house full of people, this guy and all his relatives. And the middle of the message, the Spirit of God comes upon them. They all get saved right there in the middle of the sermon. So if you want to get saved today in the middle of the sermon, it's okay with us. You can do that. You don't have to wait till the invitation at the end. Like, hey, I believe. That's why we put so much emphasis on the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But I say, verse 18, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So again, when it comes to Israel and their rejection, maybe the challenge, maybe they didn't receive Jesus because they didn't hear about Jesus. That didn't get to them. And Paul says, he quotes Psalm 19 and basically said, no, the issue isn't that they haven't heard. The message is gone out, is all he's saying. And Paul was one of the messengers that took it out there. Well, the next excuse might be, well, they heard, but they just didn't understand. They didn't comprehend it. They didn't get it. Paul says, verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? Well, let's talk about Moses. Deuteronomy 32, 21, Moses says to the Jewish people, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So it's not that Israel didn't comprehend it. It was easy enough to comprehend that even non-Jewish people could comprehend it. See, the Jews with all of their traditions and all of their scriptures and all that, the problem is that they had rejected Jesus. They had rejected what they had heard. And so quoting from this Old Testament passage, basically like saying, look, God wanted a relationship with the Jews. And the Jews said, no, we want other gods. We want other husbands, so to speak. And so God says, okay, you don't want me. I'll go find someone who does. And he seeks out and finds the Gentiles who weren't looking for him. It's God. Who's the seeker. It's God who is seeking you. If you're saved, you got saved because God was seeking you. God was seeking me. I was reading books like the way of the peaceful warrior. Anybody read that one? Is Anne in the art of motorcycle maintenance? Look, you sit down when you're alone and you have not a lot of input coming into your life. You go, you know, what's life all about? Like, is this it? And so you start to go, there's gotta be more. And God reveals himself to you. When you know, when you know that you know that there's gotta be more, then you're open to hearing about God. And that's when you'll find him. That's when you'll find him. And so God made himself known to the non-Jews. He sought them out. And the idea was that now they're going to see God in a relationship with these other people they didn't like, and they're going to get jealous. You know how that dating thing goes. You know, guy and a girl are dating. A girl breaks up with guy. Guy starts to date another girl. Now ex-girlfriend is jealous of new girlfriend. That's the plan here for God. Isn't that crazy? This is God's plan that the Jewish people would be jealous of what they see us have in God. Would anybody look at your life and be jealous I mean, not jealous of what you have materially, but jealous of what you have emotionally, jealous of what you have spiritually. Do people say, man, how do you get that kind of peace? Where does that kind of joy come from? Where does that kind of love come from? like, I need that. I'm empty. I'm done. I'm toast. I'm spent. I'm confused. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. And you... Come in here all smiley to work. Who do you think you are? People get mad at you, right? They think you're up to something. What are you up to? What's going on with you? Nothing. Don't need drugs. Don't need stuff. Got Jesus. End of story. Full. How do you tempt someone that's full? I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Again, it was God that was seeking. So the question is, was the message incomprehensible by Israel? I mean, was the fact that it was too hard for them? No, he says, I was found by someone who wasn't even looking for me. That's how easy it is. A six-year-old can get it. It's us older folks that kind of rattle our brains around trying to justify our lives and reject and our pride and all that stuff. A young kid can get the gospel. So it's not complicated well, what's the problem then? Verse 21, but to Israel, he says, this is Isaiah 65, two, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The problem with Israel, the problem with anybody, well, for some people, it is that they haven't heard and we're trying to remedy that, right? Maybe God will raise up some more people to go into some of these places so that they can hear. So we take that excuse away, but maybe they can't comprehend or maybe that's the problem, But Paul says, no, the problem with the Jews, at least, is that they were contrary, which means they would not be persuaded. They were a contrary people, and they actually spoke against Jesus. So that was the issue. The issue with the gospel is rejection. That's the challenge. Now, chapter 11, again, forget about the chapter break. Paul is still going on with his same argument. Okay, so if The Jews have rejected God if they've been contrary. I mean, God is there stretching out his arms. He's going, I love you. I want you to come, stretching out to them. And they're saying, no, God, we don't want to have anything to do with you. What is God's choice? Maybe God's only choice is to say, well, we'll kick Israel to the curb and I'll start a new plan. Israel's done. And that's the next question that naturally comes. I say then, has God cast away his people? I mean, if God is willing to cast away his people, then how do we know Romans 8 can be true that God will never leave us or forsake us? Isn't that what's at risk here? I mean, if God just kicks us to the curb, then how can we trust him? And so that's the question. I say that as God cast away his people, and Paul says, no way, no way. The Jewish people today are still in God's plan. Did you know that Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna has two trees planted in a kibbutz in Israel? We have roots there in Israel now. And when we go to Israel as a group, we've been five times and we have our closing dinner. Remember a couple of years ago, we had our dinner there in the hotel. It's Arab and Jewish people serving there. And we just had this time of worship and sharing. I mean, the waiters and waitresses in the hotel dining hall wanted to know who we were and what our deal was. I mean, they were so overwhelmed by what they heard spoken, the singing that we did. There's this great testimony we have because God loves Israel. They're still his people. He's not done with them. The church hasn't replaced Israel. Well, how do you know that's true, Steve? Paul says, just look at my life. Speaking of hardened, rejecting, angry Jews, Paul says, that was who I was. Look what he says. Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Hey, if God cast off his people, then where does that leave me? I mean, I'm proof that God has it. He's not cast off his people totally, and he's not cast off his people, finally. All of this, their rejection, God's not going, oh, I didn't expect that. I didn't know that was gonna happen, or maybe I made a mistake choosing them. All of this, listen, this is what you have to know. All of this working out exactly according to God's plan. Their rejection was not a surprise to God. Their rejection didn't catch God off guard. Look, by the time we get to the end of chapter 11, the apostle Paul is gonna be worshiping because he's going to see how God's plan has worked out through Israel, through their rejection, through the Gentiles being invited in. We have what we have because the Jews rejected it first. It was brought to the Jews. They rejected it. God said, I'm going to seek other people. We got found by God, and then we're going to make the Jews jealous. There should be no anti-Semitism in the church ever, ever. We love the Jewish people. So Paul says, hey, I'm the prime example of and the fact that God has not given up. Maybe there's someone in your life, you said, there's no way, there's no way God's going to get him. And don't give up, because the apostle Paul was a pretty brutal guy, and he got saved. And if Paul can get saved, you can get saved, for sure. So he says, verse two, God has not cast away his people whom we foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So during the time of Elijah, there was widespread idolatry, worship of Baal, the the foreign god of thunder and of fertility. Everybody's worshiping Baal. You know, you remember the story where Elijah calls down fire from heaven. and, And at that time, then Jezebel, Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel seeks to kill Elijah. So he goes on the run and he cries out to God, oh God, oh God, I'm the, only, I'm the only one. You ever found yourself saying that? Woe is me. No other Christians care about God like I do. There's no other churches out there that are preaching the truth. You ever fall into that trap? That's what Elijah found himself. He was depressed and discouraged and, oh, there's nobody else out there. And if they kill me, God, what's going to become of your people? It'll all end right here. And God says, Don't worry, Elijah. I got 7,000 people that are not in idolatry. 7,000 I've reserved. So there are what's called a remnant, and we'll read that in a moment. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Paul says there was a remnant back then that God's not going to let his Jewish people get destroyed. There's a remnant now. Even if the church was totally fall off the rails. The church was to totally fall away from Jesus. It's never going to get destroyed. The gates of hell will never prevail. God will always make sure that by grace, there are those that still believe. So you're not alone. There's lots of people out there worshiping the Lord. Sometimes you feel like you're watching the news, right? Where are all the believers in this country? Hey, they're out there. We're right here, right? Say amen. We're right here. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So there you have it right there. Paul, the mystery of the Rubik's Cube sentence right there. Basically, what he's saying is, look, God works through grace. And grace and human effort are incompatible. You're either going to earn it or it's going to be a gift. You can't have it both ways. You can't earn something and then have it be a gift. That's all that Paul is saying here is that God has always worked in your life, In my life, in the history of Israel, he's always been at work behind the scenes, making sure that his plan is being carried out. And it's always been by his grace and not by your efforts. Isn't that comforting to know? You think the bottom is falling out. You think the sky is falling down. Everything's going into the trash can. And God says, relax, I'm still on the throne. My plan is being carried out perfectly in your life and in the world, individually and nationally. And there's great comfort in that.